Well, welcome to everybody. It is good to be together. Good to see you. We're continuing on in our sermon series, Romans. Grace changes everything. Looking forward to taking you into a very, very important passage of scriptures. We continue to see the practical outworking of all of the theology that Paul has given us in our studies up to this point in Romans. Now he says, because of all that, do this. We're going to dig into that. Welcome again to all of you. Welcome to those online, those in the classic venue, those on the Moon campus. <clears throat> As we look into what I believe God has in store for us here together today. As we get into this, I wonder if I were to ask you to make a list of the pros and cons of flying, which of your lists do you think would be longer? It, it would be the con list that's longer, wouldn't it? Because isn't there just one pro to flying and that's do you get there faster? But on the con side of things, you've got delays and you've got cancellations these days and you've got all the luggage issue. Everybody's losing their luggage. You've got all the extra fees that, people, that they're sticking on you. You've got those wonderful snacks of three pretzels and a lukewarm glass of water. You've got that. And you've got that woman who's been sitting for two hours at the gate, but she waits until she gets on the plane next to you to open up her stinky tuna fish and boiled eggs to eat it there on the plane, right, with you, right? The con list can get actually pretty long. I don't think there's much doubt about that if you've been flying lately. But the thing I think that most people have right up at the top of their list has to be the seats. Nobody likes the seats. They're either uncomfortable or they're too small or they're too close to the ones in front when the person in front of you reclines their seat back to you. That should be outlawed. Reclining your seat on an airplane should be outlawed. I do believe, unless you get a note from the doctor that says you cannot sit upright for a few hours, you should not be allowed to do that. Um, it's just an invasion of personal space, don't you think? I mean, where else in life do you, do you spend extended periods of time with your head about a foot away from some other total stranger? You just don't do it. Try it out in the lobby after the service. Go out there and walk up to somebody and put your face about a foot away from theirs and just see how that goes. I don't think it'll go very well. And incidentally, that was not an invitation for you to do that to me after the service. I just want to be sure that we've got that clear, all right? There, there's the way it is. We need to raise the bar on airplane seating. And some people have look, been looking at that. There's this prototype that's come out. Maybe you've seen it. It's the double-decker seating. How do you think that's going to go? Yeah, I don't think that's going to go very well at all. Not at all. Or I did actually see that somebody is actually raising the bar on airline seating. It's, it's, uh, it's Singapore Airlines. I don't know if you saw this, but they've come out now with first-class suites that you can book. Take a look at this. You can get it with the comfy chair and the, and the large screen television. You can, I think we might see one. Let's go on. Here you can see the large screen television. This is, this is on the airplane. You can get it with the bed, the one that comes with the bed. There you go. And they all have their own individual bathrooms, which are larger than the tin cans back in coach. So I do think that something like this would be wonderful if we can raise the bar on airline seating. I think that's awesome because you probably don't want to be sitting in front of this girl, though you have been at some point, and you don't want to be sitting behind this one. Yeah. Incidentally, this is the real reason that they ban scissors from airplanes. 
Yeah, you probably didn't know that because uh, her hair would all be, all be gone. All right, so raising the bar on airline seating, I think we could all agree would be pretty valuable, something that we would love to see happen. Today we're going to be talking about raising the bar on some other areas as well that are even more important than that one, if you can believe it. And it's where we have come in our studies through the book of Romans. Romans, grace changes everything. And today we are going to be taking a look into Romans chapter 12. So go ahead and open up there if you would please. Romans chapter 12. Grab your scripture journal or open it up in your Bible or on your phone, however you want to access it. The outline is also there in your pathway notes. You can check it out and you can see it there. The title of the message is Raising the Bar on Relationships. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Raising the Bar on relationships. The Apostle Paul, the author of the book of Romans, has a real burden for the nature of the relationships that we would have with one another as believers in Jesus and in the church, and even the relationships that we would have with other people who are on the outside of the church, people who don't or have not yet come to faith in Christ. And so in Paul's observation in the first century, he's like, there can definitely be some growth when it comes to the way that we interact with one another and the way that we interact out and beyond the church as well. And, and I think that just as he saw that there could be some improvement there, I think that we could acknowledge that there can be some improvement here as well. And so we're going to dig into what Paul has to say, but I need to warn you as we get started in this that it's probably going to challenge some of your assumptions and it might challenge some of your presumptions as we look at what Paul says, this is what our relationships ought to be like, what they ought to look like, because they don't all fall right in line with the way that we tend to operate in our world and the way that we operate in relationships, even with one another, back and forth in an environment like in the church. So he's going to offer some things, some challenges, some principles for us to take and to try to apply and appropriate into our lives as we work to raise the bar on relationships. That's what we're talking about here today, raising the bar on relationships. So let's take a look at this. The first one that he gives to us, the first challenge he offers us is to love one another sincerely. First five verses of this passage that we're in today talks about the way that he would see or suggest to us or exhort us that our relationships would be back and forth with one another. And I just want to read these verses so you kind of get the context and the setup and the feel for what he has to say. So if you look beginning in verse 9, he writes this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's a big list. There's a lot there. There's a lot for us to strive after. He begins just right out of the chute. He says, let love be genuine. The word genuine here carries the idea of being unhypocritical, of doing the things that you say you're going to do, of living the life that you're suggesting to everybody around you and the words that you say and, and some of the actions that you sort of put forward that this is really who you are. Let that really be who you are. Let love or love one another sincerely, he says. And the fact that he feels that he needs to write this, kind of get this passage started with it, it makes it very clear that he believed that this wasn't happening. 
And I think we could probably say as we look around, it's not happening in the way it should either. There are times when people put on the look of love. They pretend like, like they're loving, like they're out there for you, but really deep inside their heart, that's not what's going on. It looks good on the outside, but when you get inside or when you can get a glimpse inside, you know that there's something that's just messed up. When I was in college and trying to work my way through and summers would come along, I'd get jobs as you know, everybody seems to do, so to try to work their way through. And, and this one particular year, I ended up working for a temp agency. And if you've ever done that, you know it's kind of, they have a lot of different jobs that nobody who's actually been hired to that company wants to do. And so they hired somebody else to come in and do it. And so all summer, that's the kind of thing that I was doing. And one occasion, me and another guy were sent out to this house and we were supposed to clean out this lady's house. And as we walked up to it, it was a nice house and it was in a nice neighborhood. We thought, well, this, is, this isn't going to be so bad. Until we opened the door and we were met with this pungent odor. And it wasn't, didn't take long to figure out why, because we step inside. This woman was a hoarder, and there were boxes everywhere, in the living room and in the, in the kitchen, in the dining room, in the bedrooms, and not just along the walls and not just stacked in a corner, but everywhere. And what contributed to more of the problem is that there had been some water damage, and the, part of the ceiling had collapsed. And it was all wet, and it was moldy. It was disgusting. And on top of that, there were cats, and a lot of cats in this house. I mean, literally, this was like one huge litter box. It was so bad. I mean, I felt bad for the cats. That, that's, that's how bad this house was, right? So it looked great on the outside, but you got inside, and you could tell that something was really messed up. And that's what Paul is saying that can happen to us. We can be people who make it look like everything is great on the outside, but if you can dig inside, you see that everything isn't quite what was being presented. I wonder, are there times when you're putting on a show toward other people? Are there times that you're suggesting that you're one thing or that you've got a, a certain degree of care that you're expressing or that you feel inside and you want to show them, but really when it comes down to you, you know that that's not really what's going on in your heart? Has that ever happened to you? Have there ever been times that you, your care really goes about as long as the conversation you're hap having with them and then you leave that context and you kind of forget about it? It's happened to me, and she's kind of ashamed to admit it, but that's happened at times where I'll tell somebody one thing and then I'm going to do this and I forget or it slips my mind or for whatever reason I don't get it done. Not proud about that. Paul here, I don't like the sound of it, but Paul says that sort of love is not sincere. In fact, he says it's hypocritical that you would do that, yet he says this is something that is somewhat common. It's a bit of a shock to the system the way that he says it, but I think he says that intentionally so that it might shock us, so that it might wake us up, so that it might take us to a place where we don't just have the ability to push it aside and say, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have done that but that it actually prompts some sort of change, some sort of transformation that takes place in us because we recognize the true nature of what's going on inside. He's calling us out for that. Paul says that we're to love one another sincerely, but you might be asking yourself, well, what exactly does that mean and exactly what does that look like? I think you can probably figure that out, but he shares some specifics as he goes on there in in verse 9 and following, he says this, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. 
When he says brotherly affection, what he is trying to point our minds to is that a relationship should be like those that you have in your family, the people that you would love the most. Now, as he says that and as you kind of process that, it's like, I know that some of your families are really messed up. I know some of the relationships that you have. It's like, no, you don't want me to treat other people the way we treat one another at Thanksgiving. You just don't want that. But what he's getting at here is when those relationships are done right, that that should be the thing that, that uh, we would demonstrate back and forth toward one another as well. That's what, he's, that's what he's getting at here. When issues arise in the family, the way that families deal with things, at least in healthy families, is that they, is that they get on it and they work on it and they, and they sort things out. They don't just cut and run and, and get out of there and leave the family and, and desert everybody because it's just easier to do that. That's not what they do. And Paul says that's how it should work in the church family as well. Look, things aren't always going to be smooth and easy. There are going to be people that you're not always going to agree with. Things are going to happen where they're treating you in a way that you don't think that that's fair, the way that, you're, or the way that you are being treated. In today's culture, the standard response for that is to just be done with them. If they're not going to treat me well, then fine. I just don't want anything to do with you any longer. And as a result, we have a whole bunch of abruptly aborted relationships. And you might have that for yourself where you recognize if you stop to think about it, there are all these different people with whom your relationship ended that fast because you were just done with them because of the thing that they did to you or maybe they were done with you because of the thing that you did to them, but they're just all these relationships kind of hanging out there that have never really been resolved or taken care of. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's no, that's no good. That might be a standard response, but it's not a, a biblical one. Brotherly love takes the time to work through issues, it, and it takes the time to heal those relationships that are out there. It's possible that you'll never completely see eye to eye with that person, but it doesn't mean that you can't walk in fellowship with them. You can't have relationship, and that's what he's calling us to. That's part of what it means to honor someone else, and Paul goes on to say that what we should do is actually outdo one another in showing honor. The first century was not a place where honor, showing honor to one another was a very big deal. Not at all. Outdo one another, that's not something that was happening. Yes, they would, they would show deference to those who were above them on the hierarchical scale and the hierarchical chain, but nothing happened horizontally toward other people that you were in relationship with, and it certainly never happened down the hierarchical scale. That never happened. But this is what he is calling us to do here. None of that ever happened there until, until the church came along. And when the church comes along, it's the very first time that women and children and the poor and those who were the outcast in society were actually ever showed any honor or any respect. It only happened through the church because the church took on a different standard, which was recognizing that people are made in the image and in the likeness of God, and they deserve respect and they deserve to be honored. And so then it started to happen, and it's beautiful prejudice against another race or the elderly or the unborn or the poor or the outcast or, or anyone at all is evil because it's refusing to honor and show respect for those who have been made in God's image. It doesn't show dignity to the marginalized and the abused and on and on. So Paul tells us to not just talk a good game, but live it sincerely. 
in all of the relationships that we find ourselves in. He says, as he wraps up this opening section, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Showing hospitality is more than just inviting some of your church friends over for dinner after church. It's more than that. Paul's readers would have understood him to be saying that we need to show hospitality. Show there means to run after, to to make an effort to go after, and to seek out those people who need to be respected, who, who might otherwise be ones that get dismissed, to seek the poor, to seek the marginalized, and show them hospitality in the way that we live and engage and interact. That's what he is calling us to here, and what an impact that that can make. One of my favorite ancient quotes comes from a Roman emperor by the name of Julian. And he looked on the way that the church was acting and it it caught his attention to how different it was from what was going on in general around society. And here's what he said. He said this. He said, The Christian cause has been specially advanced. Everybody is noticing the church and, and people are coming into the church because of what they're seeing happen. The the Christian cause has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It's a scandal that there is not a single one who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, that's his pejorative way of referring to the Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us, our own people, look in vain for the help that we should render to them. I love that. It speaks to what was happening in the first century and the way that the church was making a difference and the way that when that was happening that everybody sort of sat up and paid attention. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that if we would do the same thing, if we would live in the same way, that people would be breaking down their doors to connect, to get engaged, to take part, to be a part of what's going on in our midst. That's what it means to raise the bar on relationships that transform that culture and it would transform ours as well. Paul says, love one another genuinely, sincerely, without hypocrisy. We need to evaluate. We need to ask ourselves about the relationships that we're in and is that the way that we were approaching them? That's one challenge. As if that's not enough, he goes on, he's got another challenge for us as well, and that's to rise above natural instincts. We all know what instincts are. If, if I were to throw something at you and you weren't to see it until the last minute, you would instinctively duck or, or put up your arm or something to try to protect yourself. If someone fed you a spoon of cottage cheese, you'd instinctively spit it out. <laughs> or you should, I mean, you should. Or, or how about if somebody treats you poorly, does something that's kind of evil toward you, your instinctive reaction would be to do something evil back toward them. You'd want to repay them for the thing that they did to you. That's what instinct would, would do, what it would say. Paul says we need to rise above those instincts. You can see it as he continues in verse 14. If you look at it, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Is that what you feel like doing? Is that your response naturally when somebody works against you or even when you come into some situation where things aren't particularly working out in your favor because of somebody else? 
Imagine that you're at the grocery store and you ran in and you just had to grab a few things and you've got like six items and you want to get out of the store and get on because you're in a big hurry and uh, maybe you've got some folks who are coming over to the house. You got to get things prepared and you just forgot a couple of items and so you're wanting to get out of there and you get up to the checkouts and they're all packed with people. I mean, first of all, there's only a couple that are open and, and everyone has like six carts in it. Buggies, excuse me. They've got all these in it, you know, it's hard, and you know you're not going to get up there. Then finally, as you're scanning, which one of these should I get into? A cashier comes up and opens up one of the lanes that's 12 items or less. And you see that, and so this is like perfect, and you start to rush over there. Well, somebody else saw it too, and they pulled right into that lane. Only they don't have less than 12 items. They've got a whole cart full of items, and you're saying a couple of things under your breath, but you're holding it together as best as you can, and they pretty much get through checking out finally this entire cart. And right about that moment, the person remembers, oh, I forgot something. And so the person there in line goes to the back of the store and, and gets like toothpicks or something equally urgent, or probably cottage cheese is what they went for. <laughs> And finally, they get back up to the check. And by this time, the cashier's long since rung up everything and, and just rings up that last little bit and, and asks for payment. And the person's like, oh, I've got coupons. <laughs> and so they dig for the coupons. And it's like, oh, I don't have, they're out in the car. So they go out to the car to get the coupons while you're standing there and while you're waiting. And now the line's grown behind you. The person comes back in. Are you feeling very good toward that person? You're thinking to yourself, I should buy their groceries for them. Yeah, probably not. There might be a couple of you saints out there, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> You're probably not going to want to do that. You don't feel that favorable toward that sort of person, and all they've done to you is wasted a few of your minutes. Paul says, bless and do not curse those who persecute you. Talk about raising the bar on relationships. Persecution was a very real thing in the first century. There was a great division between classes, and if, and if you weren't of the right class, you knew you were going to be treated poorly. And many of the people, most of the people in the early church came out of social classes that were low. They came out of low economic situations. And so these were people who were accustomed to being persecuted by those who sort of ruled things over them. And Paul says, no. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's the bar that is being set here at this point. There's a lot of persecution going on and more and more persecution was coming against the church. And what Paul does not say to them is, you know what? You've got God on your side. You're a believer in Jesus. You've got truth on your side. You just tell those people who are cursing you like it is. You just give them a piece of your mind because you're in the right they're in the wrong. You've got truth on your side. That's not what he says. He says, bless and do not curse. Even those who have treated you in that fashion. I told you this was going to be challenging. Going on, verse 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In other words, if something good happens to someone else, one of those people with whom you've had conflict, he said, rejoice with them in their good fortune. And for those who experience some difficulty and some pain and some problem, said, don't walk around kind of snickering under your breath, thinking to yourself, 
finally they got what they deserved. They got what they had coming to them. He says, no, that's not your response. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. There isn't anybody, friends, who's beneath you. As you walk around and you see that person who's in a different economic situation than you are, they're not beneath you. There's nothing that, would love, that God would love more than to see you engage and, and serve and bless. Goes on, end of verse 16. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. We're talking about resisting or rising above natural instincts. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Paying evil for evil is what comes most naturally to us, isn't it? We don't want anybody to have the upper hand. We don't want to be anyone ahead of us and the score that we're kind of keeping in our mind of who's done more to whom and we want to be sure that we've got that score even and that we come out on top. Friend, trust me, when you, when you stand face to face with Jesus one day, he's not going to ask, did you win in all your relationships? He's going to want to know, did you make much of my name? Did you lead others to be inclined to Move in my direction with the way that you acted and interacted. And winning doesn't draw people to Jesus. Loving does. Here's the thing. When you have conflict with another person, it doesn't matter if you get defensive or if you go on the offensive. None of it is going to endear a relationship. None of it is going to draw them in so that you might be able to establish the relationship and go deeper still. Just alienates others. Martin Luther King said it so insightfully. I think we've got it. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Retaliation is not going to get it done. It's only going to foster additional retaliation. So Paul calls us to rise above natural instincts and love where there's been hate and bless where there's been harm. Now, from personal experience, I know that's a hard thing to do. And it's hard because it feels like you're kind of letting them off the hook or like you're treating them too kindly for the way that they've treated you. And maybe you are. But in those moments, we need to remember that that's exactly what's been done for us. If you're struggling to find the motivation to live this sort of life, just remember that's exactly how you've been treated. As you disregarded God, as you pushed Him away, as you chose your sin over righteousness, and He demonstrated His grace, He didn't bring you curse. He brought you blessing. Similarly, when somebody does evil and sins toward you, you should remember that that person, that they are actually acting as a slave to sin, that they've been blinded by the schemes of Satan. That's true. The one who ultimately is seeking to work against you is not that person. That person's been influenced by the devil by the ways that he has worked in them 
There's no doubt that that's influencing their behavior. So we should be able to muster up enough kindness to pray for that person and to ask that they would be able to rise above through the work of the Spirit in them, rise above the things that are otherwise capturing their hearts and and leading them toward their own destruction. We should be able to do that much. Sometimes people hurt others because they were hurt themselves. And it's a circumstance where we can take and apply grace. It doesn't justify the things that they've done to you, but hopefully it might be something that could at least bring enough compassion that you could pray for them and you could follow through on the exhortations that Paul is giving to us to respond in ways that are not by instinct but by ways that raise the bar on relationships. And there's one more challenge as if that's, again, not enough. It says also to pursue peace with all what Paul says as verse 18 moves on. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here again, we come back to this idea of the solution to conflicts is not to cut ties with those people and to walk away from them and just have nothing to do with them as though that solves things. It doesn't solve anything. Avoidance is never a solution. We need to learn the ability to engage rather than run away. Running away is the reason that we have more and more people who are separating from other people and and forming their own little sects and their own little groups. That's why we have so many echo chambers that are operating all around us in our world today. We want to be people who are in relationship with other people who think like we do and, and act like we do and talk like we do and vote like we do. And with each of those retreats, our world is getting more and more divided. What we need are people who are willing to cross those lines and engage with people who are not like them. To live peaceably with all. It doesn't mean to sacrifice the things that you believe. It doesn't mean you need to water down anything at all. But if we learn this spirit of interacting and engaging with one another that Paul is calling us to, it gives us the opportunity to be in those relationships and hold views are different than the ones that they hold but still be able to live in harmony with one another and ultimately perhaps even have influence because your responding is the way that Emperor Julian was so captured by in ways that they're not anticipating or expecting. If we're going to see any movement breaking down all the division that's around us, this is a non-negotiable. Paul knew that a long time ago. And we might know it also, but we need to apply it in order to make movement forward. Now, you might wonder, well, hold on a second. Are there any exceptions? Any exceptions at all? I mean, what if the situation is a harmful one? And yes, certainly, if you're in a situation where you're being actively harmed or where it's something that's immoral or something that's illegal, by all means, that's something that you should step back from. And it's possible that could be in a business relationship or with a friend or with a family member or maybe even in marriage. But we need to recognize the fact that as we put sort of that pause on whatever it is that's going on, that ultimately the goal and the desire would be to have that toward the end of experiencing reconciliation ultimately and receiving and finding healing 
in that relationship rather than just looking for a way to gain an escape and again end and just terminate relationships. Plus, these situations, this is something else that's very important for us to, to understand. These situations where that kind of a situation or circumstance is happening, they're very difficult. They're very complex and it's impossible to give specific advice into every situation that all of us here might be collectively thinking of. And so if you think that you're in a situation like that, I can't speak specifically to all of those, but we'd love to speak specifically in a different context, and we would welcome you coming forward and reaching out and the opportunity to talk to you about it. Paul says, if possible, live at peace. One way to do that is to follow verse 19 and following. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Paul says that God has vengeance and justice covered, so we can just leave it to him. Now I know that it feels good, to find your own vengeance, to go after that. But it's not a solution. In fact, judging others isn't going to improve your position at all. It's almost certainly going to worsen it. Because the fact of the matter is, you probably don't have a perfect perspective on the situation. You probably, even though you think you do, don't have a perfect understanding of all of the motive that went into the action that that particular person took. And on top of that, you're the one who's feeling harmed in the whole thing, so there's a good chance that you don't have a perfectly clear perspective on the whole situation. And so the idea that you're going to perfectly execute justice is such a long shot as to probably just declare it to be impossible from the start. <clears throat> it's better to leave it to God who judges perfectly. Might not always happen, his judgment might not happen according to your perfect timing, but it is going to be perfect whether you see it or whether you don't. So leave it to him. He says, I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to let anything slide by. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And we can rest and we can count on that. He even says that your kindness is going to heap burning coals. And you're, you might be like, yeah, finally, this enemy gets something against them. And I can't wait for them to burn up with these coals. And it's probably not exactly what he has in mind. It's more so the idea that as you respond with kindness and this person recognizes that they're not treating you with the sort of kindness and goodness that you've treated them, that ultimately it will lead them to the place when they stop to think about the whole thing, place of regret, place of guilt, place of shame. And Paul wraps up these thoughts in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a good summary of the things that he has told us already in this passage, and it's a nice exclamation point on the whole thing. The only way to defeat evil is with good. Returning evil for evil is only going to pour more and more fuel on that fire. It's going to keep the battle going and raging, and it's going to inflame it all the more. Besides, when you allow yourself to be dragged into that, when you go tit for tat and go back and forth and back and forth, what is ultimately happening is that you're just staying mired in the situation. You don't have any way above and outside of it. You're stuck there and you're allowing yourself just to get pulled in more and more and it's bringing more and more harm to you. 
as you do so. It's not the way forward. John Perkins, an African-American man who eventually became a pastor born in 1930 in the Deep South, grew up and walked through all of the civil rights era and movement and some tremendous difficulties and pain and problem that he experienced through all of that. He wrote in one of his books called One Blood. He said, until forgiveness is given, the victim is literally tethered to their abusers. As you allow yourself just to continue to get pulled in more and more to that circumstance, as you allow it to continue to burn a fire in you, as long as you have this idea of retaliation and vengeance, I need to have it. You're just getting sucked deeper and deeper down that hole. And you're not going to find healing. And even if you execute your own vengeance and judgment, eventually it's on you that there's going to be these burning coals that are heaped as you recognize that you've not responded in the way that God has called. When we experience evil, we connect it to the evildoer, thinking that if we're going to defeat, or that we have to defeat the person in order to defeat the evil. But that's not true. It's possible to defeat the evil that has happened while at the same time being restored to the one who's done it to you. And that's what Paul is all about here. That's what he's trying to communicate. It's what he's trying to help us to understand as he tells us to love one another sincerely and to rise above natural instinct and to pursue peace with all. It's a high call. In fact, it might be so high that you're sitting here listening to all this thinking, I can't do that. How do I find the motivation to do that? Because that's against the way that I just naturally want to respond or the way that I've been responding, the way to do it is to think back to the very beginning of this chapter. Or what did Paul say about the motivation that we can find? He said, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for you, what he's provided for you, when he blessed you, when you cursed him, he demonstrated for us the very thing that Paul is asking of us. And it's the way to raise the bar on relationships. That's what he's calling us to. That's what our responsibility is. And friends, if we would do this, the world that is watching would be so dynamically impacted again that they could not stay away. And if we could just do this inside the church with one another, the relationships would go deep and strong and we would find the support and the encouragement that we need to get our way through the most difficult circumstances of life. And this is simply who we've been called to be and how we've been called to live. So I invite you to prayerfully consider where those relationships, maybe in family, maybe with a friend, maybe with a coworker, maybe with a boss, whatever it might happen to be, where you're ready to get even, where you have set it aside, where you've pushed them away, where you haven't spoken to them in months, maybe years, because your solution to the relationship was just to cut it off and be done with it. What is it that the Spirit of God might be prompting you to in how to respond 
and maybe how to follow up with that relationship. Or maybe it's something that's going to happen this week where you have the opportunity to curse instead of bless. And God's Spirit brings this to mind. Would you have the courage, would you have the willingness to step up and bless instead of curse? To seek to bring honor even where you've been dishonored? Because ultimately it isn't about you getting even. It isn't about you winning. It's about you being an ambassador for Jesus and demonstrating his power, his mind, his love. And when people wonder what is it that motivates you, you're just acting out the love that's been shown to you and has, it been, and has been given and provided by God himself. And it's going to transform everything. In view of God's mercy, let's raise the bar on our relationships. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this very challenging passage that is calling us to do things that we don't naturally do, that calls us to demonstrate Christ-likeness in every relationship. And Lord, that's what we want to be. We don't want to people, be people who look one way on the outside, but really internally there's something else going on. We don't want to be people who just have knee-jerk reactions and, and set on fire the relationships that we're in and we just cause them to burn and we just cause additional problems to rise up and the more that we retaliate the worse the situation gets until finally we just decide I'm done with it. You don't give us any open door for that conclusion. Lord, it's hard. We acknowledge that it's hard and it's not what we instinctively would do. But nothing about the Christian life really is. It's about being transformed and changed and living a life that stands out in culture and stands out even in the church. But it's for the sake of your glory. It's the sake, for the sake of your blessing and your honor that we would seek to do it, and the byproduct is that we get better relationships along the way. So Lord, don't let us walk from this place without having evaluated who is the person I need to talk to, what is the mindset that I need to take on in committing ourselves to being people who raise the bar in all of our relationships, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.